What's up, Second Chance? How are you guys doing today? Look at this. Man, this feels good. Great to be with you guys. Thank you so much for the generous welcome. Uh, y'all have upgraded since I've been here last. You didn't realize I'm from New York and I just said, y'all, I should get more applause for that than I should anything else, right? Like, this stage is massive. Literally, this is like twice the square footage of my apartment. I can lay on this stage and just like roll around all day. I can put my daughter's bed over there, you know, our kitchen, probably right over here. Uh, this, is, this is incredible. It's so good to be with you guys. This is my first time speaking to a live crowd in 14 months. We have been doing church online. We're meeting, but we don't have a space. We don't have a building. So we're recording sermons, watching them in homes and apartments. Uh, so is it okay with you if I just jump right into it? Uh, okay, good. I'm glad you guys said yes because I didn't, I didn't have a backup plan. And so if you would have been like, no, tell some jokes, make me laugh, I, I don't know what I would, it would have just been mad awkward. I would just be like, I, I got to keep going. Uh, okay, so now that you're good with that, let me ask you a second question. I don't know how you guys do it here at Second Chance, but is it okay if I keep it real with you, like real, real? No, 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 wait, wait, don't answer just yet. Before you answer, let me remind you kindly, I do not have a backup plan. So if you can answer accordingly as your guest speaker I would greatly appreciate it. Is it okay if I keep it real with you guys? Yes. Okay, good, good, cool, cool, cool. Now we can jump into it. We can keep it real. So you know what I hate? You know what I hate? I hate when people say stuff as if it's 100% fact. You know it's not true, and they just say it with confidence and certainty. Like, this is the way things are. This is the way it is. This is exactly how it happened. And you know it ain't true. I, I hate that. I got a friend. He's actually from Powdersville. And, and he'll just say stuff, and you're like, bro, that ain't true. Like, like hey, did you see that new Kong vs. Godzilla movie? He said, yeah, 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 that's the one about the cat and the dog, and they were, like, you know, making their way through the woods to get back to their owners. You're like, no, Kong is a gorilla, and Godzilla is, like, this fire-breathing dragon. It's not, you know, no, the one I saw was about a dog and a cat. Like, bro, no, you did not. That's Homeward Bound. That is not, you know, Kong vs. Godzilla. And he would just say it as if it's fact. But it's not just my buddy from Powdersville. It's my guys in New York City. Okay, who here has ever been to New York? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Well, a pretty good number of people. Let me, as a New Yorker, let me give you some kind of tourist advice. Okay, if you're in New York City, you're trying to get to your Broadway show, you're trying to get to a restaurant, you're trying to figure out which train to take, you're trying to figure out how to get out of the borough that you're in to get to somewhere else because you don't even know what a borough is. If you need help, whatever you do, do not ask a guy for directions. Just don't do it. Here's why. 40% of the time, they will tell you exactly how you need to get there. 60% of the time, they will tell you something that is not the way to get there. And 100% of the time, you won't know the difference. You, you won't. They will tell you, you need to walk like seven blocks up this way, and then you'll see a Chase Bank, you make a left, you go down three blocks, you see a Cosmic Diner, then if around the corner, there's this tight little door. You gotta walk through that door, go down the alley, and then you'll get into the spot. And you'll think, wow, they were so helpful. They gave me these specific details. This person, I'm surprised they even knew where it was. And you follow those instructions, you end up in the middle of the Hudson River. Like, they just make it up. And I know because I've been that guy. I've been that guy. Literally, I, I, I told this story in the first service. After service, I had a text message from my friend in New York. He's like, I give bad directions all the time. And, and, and my wife, she was like, is that really where it was? And I said, no. And she said, but why did you tell them that? I, I don't know. I just didn't want them to know I didn't know. So I just told them someplace, and they'll figure it out. And, and so don't ever ask for directions. So listen, it doesn't matter. If Powdersville guy is telling something as if it's true, it doesn't matter if it's New York City guy giving you bad directions, I can't stand it when people say something as if it's true, knowing it's not true. And you know who else does this? Christians. 
Christians. We say things as if it's 100% true, knowing good and well it's not. But before I explain what I mean, I want to jump into today's text, and that will give some context for where we're headed and what I mean by that statement. So Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 9, and this is Luke, one of Jesus' friends, writing about a story that's familiar to many of us. But if you're not familiar, it's okay because we're going to read through the whole thing. Verse 10 says this. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done, and then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. Verse 11, it says this. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. Now let me just pause for a second. Anybody got that friend that just doesn't get the hint? Like they keep texting you, you keep ghosting them, but then they try to call you. I'm like, bro, if I didn't answer your text message, that's not permission to call me. I chose not to answer your text on purpose. That's these people, but because Jesus is not me and he's Jesus, he says Jesus welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Next verse. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night because there is nothing to eat here in this remote place. Verse 13. But Jesus said, you feed them. And their response was, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? Verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men there. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Verse 16 says this. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And the final verse, verse 17, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I want to talk to you today about the breaking point. The breaking point. Some of us have been here. Some of us are here. But before we jump in, let me take a moment to pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak. I ask that you would move. I ask that you would show yourself to us, in us, and through us. And I pray, Lord, that we would respond, that we would understand that this would give us hope to move forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that Christians like to say, as if it's 100% true, knowing that is not, is that all of your problems will go away with Jesus. All of your problems will just go away. You got problems in life? Oh, you just need Jesus. You got something going on, you got, you know, health issue, you got an addiction issue, you got this situation, a job issue. Man, Jesus got you. Jesus, you know, all your problems just go away. If you got Jesus, then you, you're good. Everything else, it doesn't matter. Those problems will go away because Jesus is a wizard. Jesus is a magician. And everything, if you just follow him and believe in him, you won't have any problems at all. Christians of all sorts believe this and say this. Christian leaders, Christian followers. Christians in the north, Christians in the south. Christians in America, Christians in other parts of the world. In fact, I know some Christians who will tell you That if you are experiencing problems, if you are going through difficulties, if you are facing hardships in your life, that must mean that you are out of the will of God or that it is the hand of God against your life. Because you're following Jesus, you shouldn't have any problems. Now, I understand why we're inclined to believe this. I get why this sounds good, right? Because listen, I wish Jesus would just take a magic eraser to all of my problems and clean it up. It sounds great. It even feels great. But Jesus never said such a thing. Nowhere in the Gospels, nowhere in the New Testament will you find a phrase or a statement in which Jesus says, hey, listen, with me, you won't have any trouble. With me, you won't have any problems. 
And listen, don't, don't get it twisted. Don't misunderstand me. I do believe that everyone's life is better with Jesus at the center. But that's not a guarantee that everyone's circumstances will be better. You see the difference? Everyone's life is better with Jesus. If you were to say, Ricky, I don't know, I'm skeptical about this whole Jesus guy, following him, Christianity, all of these things. I'm here, but I don't know that I can trust it. Is it really better with Jesus in my life? The answer is yes, but it does not mean your circumstances are better. It does not mean the things you go through are better. It does not mean that you will not incur or face any problems. And honestly, this type of thinking really has some catastrophic consequences. I have some dear friends in my life, people I know, people I've seen from afar, people I've been close to in proximity, who are struggling because they believe, they found themselves believing that, man, when I gave my life to Jesus, I shouldn't have any problems. And then they face problems, and they find themselves like, well, well what's happening? I don't get this. I, I was following Jesus. I go to church. I give some money. I'll help out when there's needs. I'll, I'll serve people. I'm a good person. I love God. I even pray. And so why am I experiencing problems? Like the formula doesn't add up. This plus this plus this should not equal this. And yet they'll find themselves at a place where they're willing to walk away even potentially from God because it's not that God isn't good, it's that their circumstances aren't good. It's not that God is bad, it's that a person treated them bad. And so they'll question all of this and walk away from all of this. But that's why I think the story of Luke chapter 9 is so profound and so powerful. Because it flips this entire idea on its head. Luke said in verse 10, he said this first, he said, they came back. So what happened was prior to this feeding of the 5,000, the disciples, they were out on their first tour. Jesus had released them, said, hey, you go out there, you do everything I've taught you, you teach, you heal people, you cast out demons. And they did, and they had great success. It was incredible. They were casting out demons. People were converting, starting to follow Jesus. Crowds were showing up to when the disciples were there. They were healing people who had physical ailments. And then they come back to report to Jesus, hey, Jesus, look at everything we did. And then Jesus says, okay, great. Now let me put you in a situation that you can't control, in a situation that you can't deal with, in a situation that's going to be overwhelming. And here's what Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. Hey, Jesus, we got these people here. They're hungry. It's getting kind of late. Let's get them out of here. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You guys feed them. You've got the power. You did the miracles. You did the healings. You walked with me. You know who I am. You feed them. Let me put you in a situation that is out of your control. Let me put you in a circumstance that is overwhelming. Let me put you in a predicament that is insurmountable that you don't have the ability or the capacity to handle or care for or resolve on your own. Let me put you in that. You feed them. And I think this example is far more indicative and realistic of the way of Jesus, of following Jesus, of the life of a Christian, where you go from these mountaintop experiences. Man, God is so good. My life is so good. My family's healthy. My job is great. I'm blessed. Everything is so good. And then all of a sudden it can turn and all of a sudden it can change and you're faced with this insurmountable task. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why God would allow this. I don't know why God would put this on me and say, hey, figure it out. I can't handle it. I can't take it. And you get to this place and to this moment where it's just too much or too unrealistic or too kind of significant for you 
to do on your own. And that's actually more like the way of a Christian or the life of a Christian than this idea that, hey, when you follow Jesus, you're not going to have any problems. Everything's going to be good. That's just not the way it is. And, and listen, I experienced this in my own life over the whole of 2020. And, and I know that 2020 for a lot of people was incredibly difficult for a multitude and a variety of reasons. And, and, and my experience was no different. It was brutal. It was brutal. I mean, you pick a month, I'll tell you what went wrong. And I'm not just talking about like a quarter of the year. I'm talking about like starting from the beginning of the year all the way through the end of the year. So much I could sit here for hours and tell you about all of the different things that went wrong. And I could tell you about all the problems, all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the grief, all of the loss, all of the suffering that my family endured. So much so that like COVID, we lived in New York City and COVID was real and COVID was significant. And, but, but for us personally, COVID was kind of at the bottom of the list of what was personally affecting us. So much so that I actually thought about calling this mess. I got 99 problems, but COVID ain't one. And I'll spare you all of the details, but I'll share kind of the the highlights, if you will. The the key things that unraveled and sent us into a tailspin. And it didn't start in 2020. It started six hours before 2020 even began. It was New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2019. My wife, my daughter, and I went to our favorite restaurant in New York City. Shout out to Copelia's on 14th Street. If you're in New York City, let me know. I'll buy you a drink and take you there. Copelia's on 14th Street. We're there to celebrate everything God had done in 2019. Everything God had done. We were beaming. 2019 became a year that God provided some incredible financial opportunity for our family. Um, some, some doors kind of opened up that gave us the ability to, to move forward in life and to plan for our future in a way that we hadn't before. We were celebrating because our church that we had started, Meta Church in New York City, we started in 2017 with nothing, just me, my wife, my daughter. If we wanted a fourth person, we would count our dog. And, and then we had 330 bucks. And yet at the end of 2019, we had spent two and a half years building our team, building our core community, building our, 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 our group. And so 2020 was going to be the year that we launched. And it was going to be like, man, this is going to be epic. Two and a half years of investing in this, sacrificing, and now it's paying off. And 2019 was also the space and the time at the end when we began a journey of meeting with fertility doctors. We have one daughter, as I mentioned, she's nine years old, will be 10. At the time, she was eight years old. But for the better part of seven years, we had been praying and trying and, 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 and seeking to have another child, and, and we just, it, it just wasn't happening. We, we did get pregnant in 2016, but then we had to terminate the pregnancy because my wife had an ectopic pregnancy, and so we had to terminate that. And so that was, that was hard, and that was difficult. And then, you know, different situations, seasons of life, changes in medical insurance, all this crazy stuff, like, it just never worked out. And so at the end of 2019, we started meeting with a fertility doctor, and we felt hopeful about that. We felt hopeful about that process and that journey and that finally this prayer, this blessing would be answered and provided. So we're at Copelius and we're cheering. We're cheersing God. Not just about 2019, but also all the things we're believing for 2020. The declarations we're going to make. The things we're asking God to do. The way we want to see God move in our lives, through our family, in our church, in our city. So we order drinks. Our drinks come. We give a toast. And then within a few minutes, I get a phone call from my brother. And I answer the call, 
and he says, hey, um, I just got a call from Halifax Hospital. Now, I live in New York. My brother lives in Fort Lauderdale. Halifax Hospital is in Daytona Beach, where my dad lived. And he says, uh, the nurse called, and she asked if I could come to the hospital, that Poppy got admitted to the hospital. And, and, um, and I was like, well, well, for what? And he's like, well, it's, I don't know. It's, uh, she didn't say, but she said it's not good. And so she asked if I could come up. And so, like, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to adjust some plans or whatever so I can, so I can head on up. You know, it's a three-and-a-half-hour drive. And so I said, well, well, why don't you call her back and just try to get more details so we can know what we need to do. And so he called her. And, you know, he spoke with her a few minutes later, 6.54 p.m. He called me. He said, Ricky, Bobby is dead. Bobby is the Spanish word for daddy. That's what we call our dad. Apparently, he went out into the parking lot of his apartment complex to go to his truck. He suffered a heart attack, collapsed, hit the pavement. A neighbor happened to witness it, called 911 immediately. Medics were on the scene in less than five minutes, but by the time he arrived, he was already dead. You talk about a 180. You talk about maybe 20 minutes before we're giving a toast. God, you're so good. God, this is so great. This has been so epic. Next year is going to be even better. We didn't even get to next year before next year unraveled. My night, my year, my life. My dad was my biggest champion. My dad was always, man, I'm so proud of you, Ricky. I'm so proud of what you're doing. I'm proud of what's happening. I love your family. I'm so proud of how you're raising your daughter. I could have stolen a car, robbed the bank, and, like, collided with, like, six police cars, been arrested. My dad's like, man, yeah, that was crazy, but you drove that car really good. I'm proud of you. I, I don't know where you learned that from, but that was good. Like, that was my dad. And he was gone. A few weeks later, you know, we do the service. I speak. I officiate or do the eulogy for, for my dad um, a couple weeks after he passed, literally two weeks and two days after he passed away. My wife, who's 34, contracts a case of shingles which, if you don't know, shingles is typically something reserved for people who are older in life, older in age. And typically, it kind of hits your abdomen. It's incredibly painful. It attacks your nervous system. Tylenol, Advil, things like that don't work. But she didn't experience it on her abdomen. She shouldn't have experienced it because she's under the age of 50, but she contracted it, got it on her face, the left side of her face. As if the shingles wasn't bad enough, as if the pain wasn't intense enough, the concern was not the pain or the shingles itself. The concern was whether or not she would be able to keep her eyesight because it caused her to lose vision in her left eye. So we're dealing with this. She's bedridden for six weeks. Technically, she's contagious because of the shingles, which meant any sort of fertility treatments that we were about to begin or begin, that all just got put on pause. And then by the time she recuperated or was semi-decent, COVID hits our city. Everything shuts down. There is no go be with the fertility doctors. There is no, you know, attend there's stay in your apartment. Don't ever come out. <laughs> that was in March. So we're in our apartment. We're dealing with the kind of craziness of what's happening in our city. And somehow, during that time, my wife conceives and she gets pregnant. 
Now, that might not mean anything to you, but here's what you need to know. When we met with the fertility doctor, he said, you guys are a unique paradox because here's the thing. The issue was not my wife. She was not the reason why we could not get pregnant. It was me. And he said, statistically speaking, there is less than a 0% chance that you guys can get pregnant naturally. Your daughter is a true miracle. But somehow in March, she gets pregnant. So we're celebrating. We're like, oh my gosh, God did it. And the due date of this child is around the date that my dad passed away. And so like, wow, what what a redemptive story. The year ends with death and and it's going to conclude with life. And so we had been praying, God, protect this pregnancy, protect our wife, or protect my wife, protect this story, protect what you're doing. What a miracle, God. You just wanted the doctors to say there's a 0% chance that you could show that you do this, that you're capable of it. And so God, we're celebrating and we're thanking and we're just praising through the roof. And then the evening of Sunday, May 10th came. And Krista says to me, Ricky, something's not right. Like what's happening right now is not supposed to happen. And it became clear we need to go to the emergency room. So we went to the emergency room. And that evening, my wife would miscarry the baby. On Sunday, May 10th, 2020, Mother's Day. Man, I say that put us in a tailspin. Doesn't even come close to describing what we felt. The only thing I can liken it to is this. It felt like for two months when we had that baby. It felt like for two months I put my hand out and said, God, thank you so much. I want to shake your hand for doing this. And he took my hand, twisted it, put it behind my back, slammed my face to the ground and said, take this instead. That's what it felt like. Why? How? How is this good? Where is the good that will come out of this? As if that were enough, here's the third highlight. As May is wrapping up, we're moving into June, we start receiving the text messages and the phone calls from people who are part of the medical community who said, hey, listen, my job is going full-time remote, and that means I can work anywhere, keep my New York City salary, but not have to live in New York, not have to be in lockdown in a 600-square-foot apartment. So I'm moving to South Carolina. I'm moving to North Carolina. I'm moving to California. I'm moving, literally, those 60 people, those people that we had spent two and a half years building and investing in, what remains today is 21 this idea of like, this is going to be our year. Literally and figuratively felt like it was just slipping through our fingers, through our hands. And I just felt, I remember feeling like in June and July, like this depression and this like frustration and anger and hurt and I was mad at God, didn't want to talk. And I remember I got to this place in June where I wasn't like, I wasn't walking away from God, but I remember looking in the mirror and I, and I said it to God and I said it to myself, I said, God, I know why people walk away from you. And I understand. I don't know that I understood before, but I understand now. And and I'm at my breaking point, God. If I get one more phone call, if I get one more text message, if something else goes wrong, if I get one more hospital bill, if I'm told this is what's going to happen wrong in your life next, I don't know that I can handle it. 
I don't know that I can overcome it. I don't know that I can get by, God. I don't know why this is happening and what is taking place. And maybe that's how you felt in your life at times past. Maybe that's how you felt last year. Maybe that's how you feel right in this very moment. You feel like you're overwhelmed. You feel like you're overcome. You feel like what's in front of you is insurmountable. You feel like you have no hope, no ability to see beyond the mountain that's in front of you. You have no idea why you're at the, you're at your breaking point. If one more call, one more message, one more email, one more thing happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. And if that's you, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that your breaking point is the start of God's miracle. Your breaking point is the start of God's miracle. That moment where you feel like it's not enough, that moment where you feel like you don't know where to turn, where you don't know what to do, is the very condition that God uses to provide and perform the miraculous. And the evidence of this, the evidence that your breaking point is the beginning of God's miracle is actually found back in Luke 9, 16. This is what it says. Okay, it says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them, then breaking the loaves into pieces. Now I've got a question for you, and it's not a trick question. Who broke the bread? Jesus. We can say it louder, right? We can say it with confidence. Who broke the bread? Jesus broke the bread. Jesus took the bread and he broke it in order for it to be multiplied to become a blessing to a multitude. And Jesus took this bread, he broke it, and in the same way, Jesus is taking parts of your life and parts of your lives collectively and mine as well, and he's breaking it apart, he's breaking it down so that he can build up something new. You see, some people might say, oh, it's the hand of God against you, but what they don't realize is the work of God in you. And Jesus is taking some things and he's breaking it apart and he's saying, listen, could it be that God is breaking apart your life? He's leading you to this breaking part. He's got, I, I got to break this off of you. I got to break this addiction off of you because it's preventing you from becoming who I envisioned you to become. I got to break apart this pride because this is going to get in the way of you fulfilling the purposes I have for you. I've got to break apart this deceit or this deception or this envy or this, you know, whatever it is, this greed, whatever it is. I got to use these circumstances and I've got to break them down so that I can build up something new. So he's breaking it off, breaking it apart, breaking it away. And he's saying, this is do, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this in you. And sometimes it's so easy in that situation, in those circumstances, to get so discouraged, to be so frustrated, so angry, that we can't even see that it's God doing it in us. God said, I'm breaking you down so that I can build you back up into a better, more glorious version of yourself, the one that I envision, a redeemed, a transformed person. This is what God is doing in you, and this is what God is desiring to do through you and for you. And so it feels painful. It feels like torture. But God is saying, it's through this breaking that the blessing comes. This is how the miracle is provided. And if you can relate, and if you can empathize and sympathize with that and understand that, feel like, Ricky, that's where I'm at. Then I've got some insight and some instruction, not that I've learned, but instruction that I continue to learn and follow, leading me through this breaking point. There is no bow at the end of the story today. I'm still in the midst of this. I'm still working through this. 
I'm still sorting through, but here is what I know. I've seen God take these broken, crumbled pieces of my life, rebuild them, restore them, and allow them to be the beacons of hope, not just for me, but others around me. And my hope and prayer and my belief is that he wants to do the same with you. So if you are in that place, if you found yourself in that place, here is what I want you to know. Here's the first bit of instruction. Don't underestimate what God can do. Do not underestimate what God can do. You know the disciples completely underestimated what Jesus could do. They looked at the circumstances. They looked at this situation and they were like, there's no way. This isn't happening. In fact, this is how they said it in verse 13. They said, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. This is all we got, Jesus. This ain't going to work. We can't do anything about this. We can't change this. We can't get more bread. They underestimated what God could do. Ironically enough, they had just come back from a trip where they saw God do incredible things. And yet they're still sitting there saying, I don't know. We only have this. Now it's easy to poke at them and say, look at their lack of belief. Look at how they underestimated God. But we're guilty of this as well. We are so quick to identify everything we don't have all the while discrediting everything we do have. God, I don't have a partner. I don't have a wife. I don't have a husband. I don't have the family. I don't have the friends. I don't have the job. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I don't have the networks. I don't have the connections. I don't have the gifting. I don't have the skills. I don't, I don't, I don't. And God's like, well, what do you have? Bring me what you have because that's all I need. And, and, and as I've been thinking about this year, as we're kind of replanting our church, and I've been thinking about, okay, God, what does this look like? How do we go about this? Like, yes, we're supposed to do this. Yes, we're going to continue in this. But man, God, it's just like, was that all a waste? And God just reminded Ricky, don't underestimate what I can do. Remember what I did from the beginning. Because listen, I told you, it was literally three people. We had no outside funding. We had no outside support. We had, we, we had nothing. Literally, it was me, my wife, and my daughter. Okay, we had $330. I went to the Wells Fargo on 81 across from the Publix here in Anderson. I wasn't even in New York yet. And I knew this is what God wanted us to do is to start this church. And this is what we were going to start with. We went and sat in front of the banker opening up a business account. And I remember this banker looking at us and saying, well, what, what are you guys opening an account for? And I said, we're starting a church. And she looked at us, offered a nice southern smile, as if to say, that's cute. That's cute, $330, you're going to start a church, okay. I'll just keep doing my job. And, and, and look, if you're that banker, it's not to pick on you. I don't remember her name. But here's what I want you to know. That $330 has grown into over $800,000. We've taken that $330... I say God has taken that $300, that, that piece of bread, and we've given away nearly $150,000 to different church plants, to different organizations, to different circumstances. Like every single week, we provide free haircuts for senior citizens and children that live in the neighboring housing projects. We hire the barbers and we say these kids need to look good. These people need to feel good. They need to walk around not worried about can they afford a haircut. We can afford the haircut, so we'll give it to them. When last year when COVID hit, we were making deliveries to first responders of coffee and pastry. We said thank you for loving our city. Thank you for serving our city. Let's bring you some refreshments. Let's show our 
of gratitude. And we were delivering. We were buying groceries for senior citizens so they didn't have to go to the grocery store. We were ordering in masks and face shields to give away and distribute to people so they didn't have to live in fear or panic. We were doing all of this financially. But look, it's not just the money. It was three people. And we saw God just kind of bring these people. People would be like, oh, they're coming to meditate. They show up to our, our house, our apartment. And we're like, how would you find out about us? Like, I Googled it. I'm like, I Google my church and can't find it. You laugh, but I cry when I do that. I'm like, why is it not on here? I've been Googling. I can't find it. But other people are finding it. We had people get saved in my apartment. We had a Hindu turned atheist who didn't believe in God, showed up to drop off her kids because her kids' friends were coming, couldn't leave because people started talking to her. She said, why do they care about me? Got stuck in church. Three months later, got saved after she started tithing. Like, what? But you know, but you know what? The first Salvation at Meta Church. It's not a stranger, it was not a Hindu atheist. It happened Easter 2018. It was my daughter. Gia Rose met Jesus. God took what we offered, said, Don't underestimate what I can do. This is what I can do. And so he's been reminding me, Ricky, I know you've got to start over. Ricky, I know you've got to rebuild. I know you've got to replant. But do not underestimate what I can do. Remember what I did with those little pieces of bread that you offered. And he wants to do the same for you. God, this is what I have. I know what I don't have, but you know what I need to figure out? I need to figure out what I do have because what I have is what you need. In fact, it's all you need. The second bit of instruction I'll offer to you is don't fear looking foolish. Don't fear looking foolish. Luke says that there were 5,000 men there at this day. Here's what I know about Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor, which means he's probably pretty detailed. At least I hope so. That's what I want my doctor to be. So when he says there's 5,000 people, there were certainly at least 5,000 people there. I don't know if he meant 5,000 men as in like men, like explicitly just 5,000 guys, and then there was women and children. Or if it was 5,000 and kind of more generic sense, all together. But there was at least 5,000 people. So when Jesus said to his disciples, you feed them with five pieces of bread, this was going to be a colossal failure when it didn't work out. And you know what I know about us and about them? There's not a single person here who likes feeling foolish, who wants to feel foolish. So the disciples have these five pieces of bread. Jesus says, you feed them. Their thought is, this ain't going to work. This isn't going to happen. I mean, all right, here's one for you, one for you, one for you, one for you, one for you. Okay, that's all we got. 4,995 people are still waiting for lunch. There's the way, but like, like the, the story wouldn't have been, wow, look at everything Jesus taught. Look at everything he said. Look at all the miracles he did. The story would have been like, hey, remember that one time we showed up to the field and we followed Jesus? And, um, you know, and we were there and he gave his disciples five pieces of bread to feed us. And they, like, looked around like they were dumb. And, and we just all laughed at them. Yeah, he could heal the sick. He could raise the dead. But he couldn't pack us lunch. That would have been the story. And the, the, the fear of looking foolish will stop you and prevent you from actually stepping into the faith that God wants to fuel you with. And look, we're, we're proud people. I'm from New York. I'm half Puerto Rican, half Colombian. If you don't know, all three of those combinations equals apex proud person. <laughs> and South Carolinians, I lived here for two and a half years. We're proud people down here too. 
We're proud of our heritage. We're proud of our lineage. We're proud of our family. We're proud of what we accomplished. And so when you're a proud person like I am, the last thing I want is to have egg on my face. The last thing I want is to say, well, I believe for this and it didn't happen. I prayed for my family member to get, you know, healed and they ended up dying. I prayed for that pregnancy and we lost it or we never got it to begin with. I prayed for that opportunity and they didn't even give it to me. They didn't even consider me for it. I, I took that step of faith believing this is what God wanted and it all imploded and backfired on me. We hate feeling foolish. We hate looking foolish. And you know what I did? I kind of shut down after we lost that pregnancy. I, I kind of just said, like, I'm not going to pray for this. I'm not going to ask for this. Like, it's been eight years at this point, God. And other people around the world have prayed with us. They've joined in with us. This happens. We, we didn't even tell anybody when we lost the baby because I was so embarrassed and ashamed. And just over the last couple months, Holy Spirit's been like, Ricky, I want you to dream again. I want you to believe again. Inviting me to trust, inviting me to, to pray, inviting me to ask, inviting me to seek. It says, listen, I don't, don't be afraid of being foolish, Ricky, or feeling foolish. My promise will come. I'll deliver. I'll come through. You will not look foolish. You will not be foolish. Listen, don't be afraid. Don't let that fear overcome the faith that I'm asking you to have. And you know why he does that? Because the Holy Spirit knows that the greater the potential for failure, the more miraculous his display of power. The greater the potential for failure, the more miraculous his display of power. You see, what made this miracle so miraculous was not that five people needed bread. It was that 5,000 needed bread. It wouldn't have been that impressive if there were 10, maybe even 20. You're like, all right, well, break off. We'll just cut it in fours. You know, that's pretty simple to fix. But it was the fact that there was no way this should have happened. And she said, okay, watch what I can do. Let me show my power. Let me reveal my significance and my greatness over these elements. And you know what I've been trying to do, what I've been disciplining my mind and my heart and my spirit is to say, instead of thinking, what if this goes wrong and everyone sees it, I've been trying to flip it and say, well, when this goes right, everyone will know it. Listen, when God answers and he comes through with this child, and he comes through with this answered prayer, you better believe the world is going to know. You better believe the world is going to know about this child. You better believe every time someone asks, say, let me tell you what God did. Let me show you how he came through. Let me tell you about the miracle that he's provided for my family. And I'm not going to stop talking about it till the day I die. Every moment, every minute, I will be grateful for it and I will declare it and I will proclaim it because God said, this is my power over these things. So don't fear looking foolish. Here's the last bit of instruction I'll offer to you. Don't forget to be grateful even when it's not enough. Don't forget to be grateful even when it's not enough. You know, it's really easy to be grateful when you have everything you need. It's really easy to be grateful when you have everything you want. It's not so easy to be grateful when you don't have enough. What's interesting is, back in verse 16, it says this, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Now, that word bless in the Greek comes from the root word eulogeo. That's where we get our English word eulogy. And it literally means to praise or to give 
thanks. So it says Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks for what was not enough. Thank you, God, I only have five pieces of bread. Thank you, God, this is not enough for the crowd. Let me ask you, when was the last time you gave thanks for not having enough? My guess is that it probably wasn't recently, if ever, and I'm no different. But you know, a year ago, I had this really weird sense where I would find myself being grateful that my dad was dead. It's weird. And for like two or three days, I was like wrestling with this. Like, why? why? I, like, my dad's my biggest champion. I need him here. Like, I've been like missing him. Like, why am I grateful that he is dead? And I started to kind of unpack it and think through it. And, 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 and what I realized was that, you know, when COVID had hit, like, I was able to do my dad's eulogy. My family was able to gather. We were able to mourn together, to grieve together, to, to celebrate my dad's life together. And so when COVID and lockdown hit, and, and I, I had friends who were doing um, funerals, and only one person was allowed. And I realized my dad was in Florida. If, if, he, if he passed away, I wouldn't have been able to be there. I wouldn't have had any closure. I wouldn't have any senses. And I found myself giving thanks for what was not enough. Thank you, God, that you allowed me to be there. Thank you, God, that you allowed my friends, my family, my dad's friends, his family, to grieve, to mourn in this way. Thank you, God, that I don't have to worry about what if he passed away now and I couldn't get on a plane. And I'd have to hope that he had a cell phone charge and I could do a FaceTime call with him to, to, for, for that to be the end of his life and his journey. God, thank you. I don't have enough money for rent. Thank you, God, I don't have that partner. Thank you, God, I don't have that wife or that husband. Thank you, God, I don't have that family. Thank you, God, I don't have that opportunity. Thank you, God, I don't have that job. Thank you, God, I don't have this situation figured out. Thank you, God, that I don't have this because I know that I don't need to be the one that figures it out because you are capable of providing and blessing it and multiplying and answering in the way that only you can. So thank you, God, that it's not in my control, but it's in yours. Thank you, God. You see, what God started to speak to me was that, Ricky, you're giving thanks for what's not enough because you're learning that I'm more than enough. I'm your champion. I'm going to back you up. I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to speak into you. See, what God wants us to know is that he's not simply interested in providing enough. He wants us to know that he is more than enough. The miracle... The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was not that 5,000 people were fed. The miracle was that there were 12 baskets left over. That the people ate to their fill and they had more than enough. This is the God I follow. This is the God I pray to. This is the God. I, and though I don't make sense of it, I can't figure it out, I'm going to continue to press on and say, God, I'm going through this breaking point, and this is how you're leading. My dad's not back from the dead. I don't have a child. We haven't replanted our church fully. But, God, I'm trusting that you're going to lead me through this, not just to it. And that when I come out of it, I don't know when I'm going to be back here, but you better believe when I come back, I'm going to have some stories to tell. I'm going to have some miracles to brag on. I'm going to have some, some ability to display this is what God has done. And I believe he wants to do the same for you. So second chance. If you find yourself at a breaking point, here's the last thing I wanted you to know. Simply this. Hang on. Hang on. I'm doing my best to hang on. I'm just going to encourage you to do the same. Because the miracle is about to be put 
on display. This wasn't the only time Jesus would break the bread. The night before he was crucified, he would gather these same disciples together again. And he would take a piece of bread and let them know that this represented his body. And he broke off that piece of bread to say, listen, I know what this feels like. And so today as we wrap up the service, I'm going to invite the band back out here. I thought it would be great for us to end and close with communion. So there in your seat or underneath you, you have a, a cup of juice with a little wafer. I want to invite you to stand. We'll partake in communion and then we'll, we'll, we'll close by going back to that song, Broken Vessels. And Luke chapter 22 says this. Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. And I want you to know, if you're at your breaking point, Jesus was there too. He understands what it feels like. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. So you can take that piece of bread, that wafer, and you can eat it. And verse 20 says this, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And they drank. So you can drink. Jesus understood what it was like to be at his breaking point. So as we sing this song, as we come back to the song, Broken Vessels, I want you to sing, I want you to worship. If you need to pray, you can pray. But may it serve as a reminder that our breaking point is the start of God's miracle. Just here in this moment, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and join me in a moment of prayer, reflection. First, I want to begin with offering an invitation to anyone who maybe today you're like, you know what? I need Jesus in the center of my life. I know it doesn't guarantee that all my problems will go away, but today I want to make a decision to follow Jesus with my life. And if that's you, I'm just going to lead us in a short prayer. You can just follow along. Speak it out loud. Speak it in your heart. But if that's you, I want you to pray this. Dear Lord, today I give my life to you. I know it doesn't guarantee that my problems will go away, but I know I need you, Jesus, at the center of my life. I understand that your body was broken for me, that you gave your life for me, and I'm trusting my life to you the best I know how. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer or something along those lines, you just you don't mind just raising your hand for me high so I can see it across the auditorium wherever you are on my right on my left across the middle if you're prayed to receive Jesus in your life today I just want you to raise your hand and here's what I want you to know we have some volunteers that would love to meet with you that would love to talk with you so I'm going to ask those volunteers to kind of slip out of the row and make their way toward the back and if you want to have a conversation if you want to talk with someone you want to pray with someone you can go ahead and follow them out of the auditorium at this time the rest of us still a moment of prayer. I want to pray a second prayer for those of you who feel like maybe you're at your breaking point. Feel like you kind of don't know what to do. God, I pray for those folks. I pray that this message would inspire and spur us to continue hanging on, to continue moving forward. Maybe, God, things aren't resolved, but we know, God, that you're leading us through this breaking point, moving us toward the miraculous. Pray these things, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I want you to know, second chance, we have a great
great group of volunteers, care volunteers, who would love to talk. If you just want someone to talk to you, you're like, I don't know what to do. This is where I'm at. They would just love to talk to you. It could be about the message. It could be about something else going on in your life. All you need to do is just walk out the back doors to the left, my left, I guess, over here. You'll see a care room. Have a great conversation. Let them pray with you and encourage you. Guys, it's been such a great Sunday to be with you and worship with you guys. Thank you for having me. We'll see you guys next time.